0: Hey friends, welcome to Thrive and Align Healing Podcast. This is Kim. And this is Carmen. And we basically solve all the world's problems here on the podcast. Just kidding. We talk about holistic healing.
1: We explore ways to change our thinking um, and the mind-body connection to stimulate healing in our body. So you know, all that
0: mind-body-soul stuff. Yep, that's what we talk about each week. So thanks for joining us. Let's get started. And welcome to Thrive and Line Healing Podcast. This is episode 82, and we are going to talk about ivermectin. <laughs> All
1: the floor is yours, Carmen. So, um, so we wanted to talk about ivermectin because it's getting... Um, more publicity right more people are hearing about it it's in the news they're writing about it you know um in the news not just in here but even you know overseas the bbc just put out an article about it so um and the information out there is is uh, i guess a little bit of it is conflicting but a little bit of it is um maybe not showing the whole story Right. right yeah so um I wanted to get on here today and share with you guys on our podcast a little bit more about sort of like the history of ivermectin why they've even proposed it to be helpful um against COVID-19 why people are taking it prophylactically right like what is the research actually show with treatment um and maybe um uh, give a little bit of a glimpse of why it's a little bit more controversial these days, I guess. Yeah. Cool. So I wanted to start out with like just statistics of ivermectin. Okay. <laughs> so ivermectin, the, the drug has been around um, for years and I meant to go back and look this up, but I feel like the patent for ivermectin um, was like in the forties. Right. Um, I want to
0: say something like they were, when it first started talking about, like I said, the patent expired in like 1972. I am not fully accurate on in that.
1: In the 70s, yes, it did. And then it changed. Um, and it did take a while for the, the the differentiation between ivermectin for animals and ivermectin for people right? Um, But if you were to go on PubMed right now and just search ivermectin, um, you will get 9,080 general articles, right? Just ivermectin in general. So it's been used with people, or um, yeah, it's been used uh, in the research world for decades um, in a number of different uh, health concerns or diseases. Mm-hmm. Right? If you look at ivermectin specifically with random controlled trials in humans, you're still looking at about 519 articles, mm-hmm. okay? And that's anywhere from or anything from uh, parasites, like using ivermectin to treat parasites, to treat scabies, um, even for malaria prophylaxis, uh, using ivermectin for even rosacea, using it in a cream form for dengue fever, um, something mild, like what they call blepharitis. When you have inflammation of the eyelids, mm-hmm. um, they've been using ivermectin in random controlled trials. Uh, they've done quite a bit in, uh, kids or sort of all walks of life. Um, there's been, there's several articles on, um, Addressing parasites like whipworms or like hookworms, um, maybe more in, in uh, school-age children, um, but some of them go from like six to sixty sixty in developing countries, um, and it's been proven to be safe. Okay, so can I uh, ask a question?
0: Yes, but so when it was originally created, it was created for humans. And do you know what it was originally like what they were targeting like we want to create this medicine for this and then usually from biochemistry i learned like we set out to make a medicine and then we find all these side effects like um viagra was made for hearts and then the last spot the side effect was
1: what it's used for today right but yeah
0: you know that like it was created for humans originally and what was it created for
1: so to be honest, I'm not positive, but I think it was still along the, the lines of parasites. Okay. But it was made for humans originally. I believe so. Yeah. And then it, uh, no, 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 no. I think it was originally made for animals. Okay. And then it, it crossed over into humans. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and the reason... We can do that, right? Is so the FDA approves animal medicines and human medicines, right? Yeah. Um, and things that have to do with mammals, oftentimes, uh, our bodies are not a, a, exactly the same, but mammals often yeah um our biology our chemistry is often very similar um and so we often we do have to dose according to uh weight and if there are biochemical differences between different animals and humans um they take that into consideration but um it, yeah uh was originally for animals and then i believe it crossed over into humans
0: because so some people aren't as nerdy into science like as we are mammal we are a mammal just like our dog is a mammal and our cat is a mammal like yes we're all mammals just to clarify that because sometimes humanity like we think we're the extension to all the roles
1: right yeah um it's 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 funny that people distinguish that right and they think that uh, humans are not animals because of uh the our frontal cortex is so much larger right than than other animals but we're still within that mammal classification yes um yeah in in biology so um and there's a i mean even if you look at veterinary medicine right and people medicine there are a lot of similarities usually the anatomy is a little bit not um, some of the anatomy is different, um, but a lot of the anatomy is very similar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, between different mammals. And so the mechanics can be a little bit different depending, yeah, because most animals we think of are four-legged um, and we're bipedal. So yeah, the mechanics is definitely different, but uh, when we're looking at biology and chemistry, it's very similar. Cool. Yeah. So. Um, so in general, right, um, ivermectin has been on the market for a really long time. Now, and it has been, like I said, anything from it's mostly parasites, right? Scabies, worms, dengue fever, um blepharitis, those can be associated uh with parasites. Uh the reason why it was proposed that it could be beneficial for COVID-19 is the mechanism of action, um which means that's how it works within our body, right? What they were seeing is that um, ivermectin actually can reduce what we call the viral load or reduce the virus's ability to enter in our cells and um, inject that viral RNA. So if there's less replication of the virus, right, then it gives our immune system a chance to overcome that virus a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um and so we were seeing ivermectin in a lot of sort of more developing countries um a lot of the random controls trials that are going on right now that are registered with the world health organization are in developing countries they're mostly the countries that don't always have a lot of access to the vaccine and so um they're doing yeah so some of those if you were to go on the um uh clinicaltrials.gov website and you can like look at all the random control randomized control trials um in the world that have registered with the world health organization that are associated some of them already have the results and some of them are still pending some of them are recruiting but so if you wanted to you know be a little bit nerdy and do a little bit more research on your own you can actually find that right now Mm -hmm. Um, and what's different and this is what's um can be a critique in the research world um is that right when we think of research and we think of hypothesis and randomized controlled trials right um the idea behind the 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 um science is that you create an experiment right you get those results and you create an experiment that's that's replicatable mm-hmm. right can other people do that Um, and if other people can do the same experiment and get similar results, then, you know, it's a good experiment. Okay. That's yeah. Um, what we learned, uh, in school and that still applies within the research world. And Mm -hmm. so, um, there are still quite a few, (laughs) um, so if you were to go on PubMed and look at, um, Uh, ivermectin and COVID-19 um there are still quite a few results or articles that you can go and you can start reading and those are already um experiments that have been finished right um or that have have the results they've had them all compiled and um so oftentimes that's what they're using when they when you hear on the news like hey there's Um, a meta-analysis. So that means they've gone through and they've looked at all the things that have been published. Now, some of those haven't been published in peer-reviewed journals and some of them um, have, and some of that is just because of time, right? Usually in the research world, especially in the medical field, um, the publishing is a little bit later um, in that process. Usually once Uh, in the past it's been once the results were found out from a a certain experiment it may take two to three years to actually publish Mm -hmm. Um, and with this the the pandemic there was definitely a push right to get the science out there now get it early so it didn't always go through peer-reviewed journals which um, isn't entirely bad but you know it's like we wanted to the, the science world and the research world wanted to get that information out there as quickly as possible if it could help people, right. okay? Um, So a lot of the research is done in different countries, not very many are in the US, we see the the studies that you see that are published now are things like, like from Bangladesh, from Egypt, from Turkey, Argentina, right, a lot of those developing countries. So a lot of people will critique that and say, oh, well, um, they may not have uh, the resources that we have in the US and so uh, there can be some hesitancy to um uh use those that research as as evidence if you will yeah
0: which is like okay I can see the validity in that argument however I in my opinion the United States federal government has handicapped our researchers we have the resources but have handicapped us from doing research on that because they've made it extremely difficult for people to use ivermectin
1: as a course of medical treatment is that correct that is correct yes because they've um not approved it for what we consider off-label use Mm -hmm. um because it's this because we know that this is a virus and not a parasite right Mm -hmm. so even though it affects the mechanism of action or it affects the the virus's ability to attach to our cells Mm -hmm. and to replicate um because it's not a parasite it doesn't fall within the guidelines or the um not guidelines but the expected use of that drug yeah so um, the next critique that people will have with um, the research that's out there now, right, is that one, these are in developing countries too. Um, And we get this across all research studies is that um, if their uh, control groups or their study population is a low number, right, then sometimes that those results can be skewed. So some of those results are on the lower end. So if they have um, less than 100, less than 200 or 300 participants in the study, they say, oh, you know, that's one way of kind of a manipulation, manipulating the results um, without um, word (laughs) lying right and so uh so you have to kind of take that into consideration because some of these studies are maybe like 40 60 maybe just 114 or 70 patients um so you definitely take that into consideration Mm right uh the other aspect is that a lot of the um, randomized controls that are out there um, especially the ones that kind of came out early on um they're not the same experience Experiment, right? Like some days, some of them only use ivermectin for two days. They only did a two-day therapy, right? And then they came back and said, "Well, the re- results of just two days on ivermectin um, isn't statistically significant to people who didn't have anything." Okay. Right? Um, and then there are studies that say, "Oh, we, we did five days," right? Um, but then you also have to look at how much the dosing right? So you need to look at um, the length of time that they use, whatever therapy or um, uh, medication, and then the, uh, the dosing, mm-hmm. right? So if it wasn't um, necessarily a therapeutic dose, right, then sometimes um, you'll see that in their uh, analysis that the results that it wasn't statistically significant, mm-hmm. okay? So there are a lot of that. There are a lot of those um, articles out there right now because they really push to get that information out there um, with the, yeah, with the pandemic going on. And so a lot of folks are saying, hey, the research isn't showing conclusively the effectiveness of ivermectin. They're not entirely wrong, right? Yeah. And um, that's what they're seeing on those meta-analysis. But what they are leaving out <laughs> is what the actual results are. Okay. Wow. So in the research world, we are always looking for things that are statistically significant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we hope that they're using um, appropriate statistics that they're not manipulating the data. (laughs) So that's a whole nother piece. But um, the idea is that if it's statistically significant, right, that means group A who had the medication uh, did like... uh, uh, a significant amount or significantly better than group B who didn't have the medication, then they can compare apples and apples to say, yes, this is you know, um, our new standard of care. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you have to think when, what is the purpose that we do research um, is because they're trying to find um, solutions to a problem. Right. So, and they want that to be like this without a doubt, this is it. Right. Um, and then if that goes through, as far as research goes, it gets approved um, by the FDA, then that kind of becomes our standard of care. Right. So for example, people who get urinary tract infections, um, there are two antibiotics that they go to first, right. They go to Bactrim or they go to nit- nitrofurantoin. Mm -hmm. um and so that's because the research has showed right that those are without a doubt significant um so they've created that standard of care so that's kind of the idea between behind why they're pushing the research why they're looking for things because i mean they want to have a solution we want to have yeah um a solution to this virus which i mean yeah um I don't think it's that black and white, but uh, anyhow, what they're not saying in those meta-analysis and in these um, uh, review articles that are put out by the press, not by the research community, uh, that are like, oh, everything's non-conclusive, right, like, ivermectin's not helping, blah, blah, blah. Um, what they're not looking at is what's actually changing in those studies. So even though they may not be statistically significant, they're still reporting different results for the um, groups that have had ivermectin versus the groups like the placebo groups who do not have the ivermectin um, exposure. And they're still seeing differences, right? So even though they're not statistically significant, there's still differences in, the duration of illness, um, the severity of illness, and even the hospitalization time or whether they have to go into the hospital or not. Mm-hmm. So they still report that in those um, articles because they, you know, this is the results, but even they may not be statistically significant. But you go through and you look at these articles um, that they've uh, found or that they've. Um, gathered together in the meta-analysis or if you go on pubmed but you'll see time after time and after a few articles i was looking at i was like hmm what they're not saying is that there's still improvement Mm -hmm. um it's just not a clear cut right that statistically significant is like a clear cut yes like you hit it out of the ballpark um improvement and so sometimes it's just maybe like, OK, group A who had ivermectin um, uh, tested negative te- for COVID in six days versus 10 days um, with the placebo group. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's four days different or uh, those folks who for mild diseases. Um, If it was a hospitalization, right, some countries are reporting, oh, it was 10 days in the hospital instead of 12 days, right? So um, they are showing some difference there. Um, And it's interesting to see because if you look at the influenza or the research around the flu, um, some recommendations that are given for the, um, for the flu may not be statistically significant either, but they will tell you, you can see a decrease in the duration and the severity of illness or the likelihood of hospitalization. um, If you do these things, right. So when we're, uh, when we look at um, it in a broader a wider lens, um, and like to put it into context, uh, I think, yeah, uh, it reveals a little bit more information to help people make a decision, um, if that's something that they, yeah, uh, wanted to try, or if they wanted to even just be kind of a little bit critical about um, the reports that are coming out in the media, Um, because we... I don't know i always think you always have to look at both sides of the story um and so if you dig a little bit deeper there's a little bit there's a little bit more there than just no it doesn't work it's not effective
0: right
1: um because there are some developing countries that are showing that it is statistically significant and that it is effective um and so it's a little bit it's i mean it, it's not like that clear cut Right. So even though I say there's a lot of reports that say it's not statistically significant, I do have to shed light that there are um, a lot of uh, control randomized controlled trials out of Turkey, out of Argentina, um, out of Iraq um, I was just looking at them earlier, uh, that actually do show that, um, there is statistical significance in, um, using ivermectin to address, and of course it's addressed a different severity, right? Whether it's, uh, just somebody who's tested positive, um, they've even done research on asymptomatic COVID carriers, um, as well as those who are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so you, yeah, are still seeing both, um, yes, it is effective in some areas, and like I said, most of that research is being done by con- or developing countries. Um, there are some docs out there, especially uh, in England and the UK, who are saying, "Hey, if we have access to the vaccine and we have access to ivermectin, why not take advantage of both?" Right? So yeah,
0: these are two different. Yeah, it doesn't have to be either or. <laughs> well, those are <laughs> different mechanisms. I'm, from my non-doctor perspective, right? Ivermectin is if you get it, here's how to get better faster and not have it as severely. Right. right? Supposedly the vaccine is like a kind of a prevention. Like if you do get it, it's not going to be as bad. That's not what we're being sold We're being sold that it's going to get rid of the virus and it's going to protect you from the virus. But I think most of us are knowing like you're going to get it and you can still be contagious with it. But there's right. two different things. One is for the treatment of, and one is for the prevention of. So why, so why are we saying no to ivermectin, the vaccine's the answer? If a vaccine doesn't treat you when you have it.
1: Right, yeah. And we are seeing more um, cases of uh, those who are vaccinated who are still getting yeah, uh, uh, the virus. And so you know, even if it is um, a lesser severity, right, still, we have this idea, we, we want, people want to treat it, <laughs> so why take this um, medication completely off of the table um, if you're still looking for something to treat the, yeah, the infection, so I just, well, I wanted to address that, because it's, uh, it is, it's getting a lot of Uh, maybe more negative press but um, if you don't take the time to do the research and look it up right and figure out okay well why is it getting the negative press and two is that true right yeah Um, and I will say that sometimes it's uh, maybe not as available within doctor's offices these days as well, which can be a little bit of a challenge. Um, There are doctors who are still prescribing ivermectin prophylactically or like preventatively. Um, And then those, yeah, uh, that there are doctors that you can go to um, who, if you have a positive COVID test, right, they'll still prescribe the ivermectin. Um, there are some that are online. Uh, if you guys go, if you check out frontlinedoctors.com, there are some, there's a, a, a tab that says find a provider and they, some of them will do like telemedicine and will help you get that prescription um, if you want to go that route. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I want to talk about it because I don't want people to, you know, kind of uh, feel like they don't have choices. Right, right. We're just yeah trying to inform people and, and uh, give you those choices.
0: So what is the uh is there trying, yeah, what is the downside of taking ivermectin? Is there side effects? Is there like um so the biggest side sound really dangerous, I think.
1: Yeah. So um what they're making sound dangerous is if people are using um uh ivermectin that's recommended for animals right um and they're using it for human use that's the what they're kind of trying to get people to avoid and they're making it sound dangerous right like it cuts
0: into the pharmaceuticals pockets because you don't have to have a prescription
1: right yeah exactly only (laughs) so here's the thing so two pieces to that right is um ivermectin that's prescribed Super safe, right? Like they've been using it on six-year-olds for years to address parasites. Um, So it's super safe. Um, What they're, yeah, trying to deter people from using is the animal-based ivermectins, right? Like for horses, for cows, for goats, for sheep. Well, those of us who are in the livestock world, we've been using ivermectin on our animals forever, right? Um, What gets people in trouble is the dosing right? What some people don't always recognize is that when we're dosing livestock, goat, sheep, cows, horses, um, we're dosing it based on weight, right? And sometimes we're guessing, right, how much a horse weighs, 1,100 pounds or whatever, we're guessing, right, um, how much the sheep and how much the goat weighs, um, which is usually really educated guess. Um, But we have to think of, right, as humans, if you're a 100 150 a 200 pound person um you have to dose accordingly right. and what can happen is if you overdose like if um you take a dose meant for a horse which is 1100 pounds and you're only 200 or 150 or even 250 um you're gonna overdose and you're gonna make yourself sick right? So what you see is you see the diarrhea, um, gastritis, or upset stomach, right? Sometimes nausea and vomiting. Sometimes if people take a dose that's too high, you can have like headaches. Um, you can see a little bit of vision changes. The other thing is with ivermectin is if you are dosing at home is to know, understand the half-life of ivermectin. The half-life, because it's antiparasitic. Um, it acts slowly. So it's actually an 18 hour half-life, which in the medication world, we're used to like 12 hour half-lives or eight hour half-lives or even four Mm -hmm. or six. Like that's why they tell people take, you can take ibuprofen every four to six hours because the half-life is, you know, four to six hours. So that means that your body is, or that, yeah, your body's breaking down that medication in that four to six hours. So, That's the difference between human dose and animal dose is usually human dose. um, We dose it a little bit um, or prescription of ivermectin for humans. We dose it a little bit lower, um, keeping that in mind, right, that that's an 18 hour half life. So if people are taking um, either high doses, too high for their body weight, or they're taking, you know, like. Some people have the mindset of, oh, if this is good, right. this dose is good. If I take a bigger dose, that's better, right? This That is not the case <laughs> with this medication. Or really any um, medication. <laughs> really, yeah, no, that's true. Not with most medications. Um, because you can have a bioaccumulation, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take a dose at eight o'clock, you know, in the morning um, that's maybe a little bit of a higher dose uh, for you and not correctly dosed according to your weight, Um, and then you take another high dose at eight o'clock the next day, you're going to have that bioaccumulation, right, for four to six hours, which can create those uncomfortable symptoms um and so and then yeah if people have a little bit of a, a, a sluggish liver or sluggish kidneys sometimes yeah that can create that bioaccumulation as well so um it's uh, in my opinion it's really important to work with a practitioner <laughs> to help you find that um good balance for you uh yeah if that's something you choose to do yeah and
0: I think there's a second thing right it's like not reading the directions and like overdosing yourself because you're using the horse level. Yes. <laughs> Human seriously. Um, and the second thing is there is um, oral and there's topical. Yes. Okay. And I think some of the humans are like, yeah, it's, there's, there's no difference. Like, we'll
1: just do the topical orally. It's
0: like, yeah, there's a reason it's
1: topical. <laughs> There is a difference. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And that's another component, right? As um, people see ivermectin and they think it's all created equally. Right. It's, it's not exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, we know in the livestock world, right? Like if it's topical, you use it topically. And if it's oral, you use it orally and they don't really mix. Um, and the reason is, is the delivery system, right? Or if it's injectable, right? Like some, I mean, if it's a uh, uh, an injection, um, the delivery system in which they've created that medication is different right they optimize it for whether it's going to go on the skin um you know and be absorbed through the skin or whether it's going to be absorbed in the gut right something that's done orally that's going to be absorbed in the gut versus even something that's injectable um that is to be absorbed yeah through the bloodstream and so um yeah you have to take that into consideration as well
0: yeah Yeah. i think too like i people like because they're This is the problem, in my opinion, with the media and the government deeming themselves the experts and only farming out what information they want. It becomes dangerous for the humans because we're in the dark and in the dark feels really scary. So then we start doing, we try to grab power and start making decisions on our own that are very uninformed because they're not allowing us to make our own decisions just give us all the information and let us make the decisions and humans would make better decisions right but because the way our society currently works with like only giving out information they want us to see people take it upon themselves to like make decisions that are uninformed don't having access really to all the big picture And so you go to like, we got a lot of people got scared. Like, I don't want to do the vaccine. I've heard this works. Yeah. Lots of doctors won't give me a prescription to it. Or I'm afraid if I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me, no, make fun of me and then force me to get the vaccine. Right. Right. Um, Because it does not feel safe for a lot of humans to go to to the medical system anymore. Uh, So they're kind of like, well, I'll just go to the tractor supply and get some ivermectin because this is my only option at this point. Right. And you do that because I have goats. It's they're out. You cannot get hardly the oral ivermectin, the paste and stuff like the, the shelves are constantly cleared. A lot of the topical or the injectable is the only thing that's left. Right. And so people are like, well, this is what's left. Just take it. I mean, it's orally, orally, topical, whatever. And it's like, I never want to blame anyone because blame takes my power away and right. it gives them the power. But I do think there's responsibility. That I believe is on our government and our media's responsibility. You created this issue because you handicapped your people with only giving bits and pieces of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's just my opinion and my tangent.
1: I think it's a little bit of a challenge as well. I mean, I, I, th- I think um, I agree with you, but um, I also think it's a little bit of a challenge because when they, uh, um, I don't even know that you can call it reporting, but when they um, have a tendency to share, right, that one side or some information and they make it um, play it or they make it sound, um more into that scarcity right like oh this is not going to be available or you don't have choices right when people don't think they have choices um it's a scary thing right yeah um and so then they're out of survival mode you're reaching for anything like yeah hey i've heard this helps i've heard this helps yeah and so you're reaching for um options uh to kind of help you feel more safe Mm -hmm. um and so, uh, and not always, yeah, people may not always have a lot of access to figuring out, you know, um, to make that informed decision to be like, oh, okay. Uh, where can I get the information? What can I find out about it versus just, Hey, yeah, this is better than nothing. Right. right. Cause a lot of people are in that. Um, even now, I mean, it's, if you look at some of the statistics, we're not really in a pandemic anymore. We're in an endemic. It's yeah, um, uh, getting better, even though that we've got like uh, spikes, you know, here and there. But um, people are scared still, yeah. Or you know, they're they were getting kind of comfortable, right? Things kind of got a little bit better, and then now we're getting yeah. Um delta spike or our delta still spiking a little bit, um, but there's a lot of whispers if you will of other strains and people you know noticing the weather's changing um it's getting cooler and so you know in the past people are worried about flu season and yeah um there's a lot of i'm gonna call them rumors of what our flu season or illness may be um this winter this fall and so yeah um people are, are are um making those decisions or those it's not I don't, sometimes I feel like it's not even a choice right of that survival mode of just like what can I get what can I do yeah like to protect me protect my family so yeah um I just I wanted to take an opportunity to talk about it
0: <laughs> so I want to like circle back to and you can choose to answer this or not so you talked about ivermectin that like currently statistically significant it's not quite there yet right and it has to be statistically significant to become a standard of care yes okay yes okay Uh, oh go ahead how did the vaccine become the standard of care because i don't know that they have a lot of research to make it statistically significant, which it has to be to become a standard of care.
1: Okay, so, uh, it's tricky to answer that question. Okay. Um, And the reason is uh, because this pandemic is different, Right, in that Kim's eye roll, (laughs) in that the FDA, the world, the American Medical Association has never seen anything like this. Um, It the vaccine originally came out under emergency use authorization, right? So it didn't become the Standard of care at the beginning. Um, I do think this is where we start to see some crossover between um, some agendas with the medical community, or um, a lot of people will argue, right, um, with me on this. And this is definitely sort of my biased opinion, if you will. But um, the, yeah, vaccines haven't really been the standard of care in general on such short notice right so when we think of like all the, the vaccines that have been around forever like the polio vaccine right it's been around forever um not forever but generations yeah um the, even the um diphtheria vaccine right that's been around for generations um they still went through a process that took about seven to 10 years to be approved um, and then became sort of that standard of care. Now we, yeah. um, And that
0: seven to 10 years was because they were doing research and trials and research to create this statistically significant data.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And things like polio, the original vaccine was an oral vaccine. Um, And then it became injectable. So I don't know, um, this is going to age me. But when I was little, we had um, the polio vaccine was an oral vaccine, it was liquid that we took. Yeah, there were two doses. And then um, I don't even know what year that would have been probably in the 80s, it became an injectable vaccine, um, where they found that and they changed how they gave that vaccine, because what they found is that it was more Uh, beneficial if they gave it as an injectable versus if they gave the oral because the oral was more of an attenuated vaccine. And so it could get, kids got diarrhea and then polio is actually transmitted through um, uh, the bacteria in our gut, right? So then if those caretakers were taking care of the babies and they got diarrhea from the vaccine, then they were getting polio. So then they had to change the vaccine. But um, so what's different with this one is it skipped, It skipped the animal trials. Um, So usually there's like three clinical phases when vaccines come out. Um, So it skipped uh, the clinical trials. It went straight to people use. Um, And some human trials, it will, some people will argue that they're in phase two or phase three, but to be honest, they haven't been collecting data. So i have like, this isn't really a trial like you would think of a medical research and medical trials is that we collect data. That's what, how we get, you know, our understanding. Um, and there isn't a data collection process here. Um, and so it, 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 it's challenging, yeah, that to me that they're creating this, yeah, as what we consider standard of care because um, they're vaccinating folks, but they're not, there's not follow-up. Right. There's not like, hey, check back in in a week and, you know, two weeks and, you know, a month and three months. Let's see how you're doing. What they're seeing now is when people are sick um, and they're going in the hospitals, they're asking you, did you get vaccinated or not? And that's the data that they're following. Um, so even like safety data, um, there's something that's called the adverse. Um, the vaccine adverse effects um and they're not really documenting that very well either they made it very challenging for people to self-document in the beginning um and now they're still they're letting people self-report um because usually that's through a doctor's office but they're letting people self-report now but i don't know who's compiling compiling that information or you know um that information is a little bit harder to find um so it's hard to kind of follow that research line as far as yeah um the vaccines that are available for covid now okay so I was to my, my
0: lay brain understand this okay vaccines have a three-phase tri- trial like in the past yes. yes okay and the third phase i would assume is that like they take a uh, control groups of humans that volunteer and they test it on them. They compile the data, like here's what it does. Here's the side effects,
1: publish that out. Then the FDA makes it its approval. So, when they show the statistical significance that without a doubt, this improves people um, much more than it harms them. Yes. Okay. Then they push that you out. as All of that. Uh <laughs> In my opinion, yes. Okay. And so they said, okay, we're just going to
0: skip all this because this is an emergency. None of that really matters. Okay. So essentially we've launched it out to the world and all of the humans that are taking it are really the experiment. It's the human trial experiment on all the ones. Yes. But yet we're not even using this trial on the worldwide population of humans and compiling the data then to say, oh, okay, we launched this. Here's what's going on with it. Here's the information we need to make changes and pivot. We're just like, yeah, we're just launching it.
1: Exactly, yeah. See, in a a normal randomized control trial, right, you have group A, you have group B, sometimes you even have group C Mm -hmm. and you have the group of folks who have the intervention. Right. Have the medicine, have the vaccine. Right. Then you have the group of folks who get the placebo. They think they got vaccinated, but they don't or they think they got the medicine, but they don't actually know. Right. And then you do blood work, you do pre and post, you know, um, either symptom surveys and you follow them. Right. And you say, okay, check back in, like I said, a week, two weeks, a month. Right. It depends on what that drug is supposed to do. Right. And so then there's follow-up, but in this um, situation we're in now, they gave folks the vaccine and then that's it. They didn't say, hey, if you have questions, if you've got, you know, symptoms or adverse effects, if you get sick, blah, 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 like call this number, right? Or check in or anything. It was just like, hey, you're on your own. Have fun. Very (laughs) responsible. Yeah, so there's a there's um a gap if this was research, right? There's a gap in the process, um, but also in the safety and the assistance for people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's because they've wiped their. They, I heard you sign a form, but they're not responsible. Yeah. So we so, like don't give a shit. If it hurts you or not, we're not responsible.
1: Yeah, and it's a little bit tricky because the adverse uh, events, um, it's adverse, A D V E A R S, I think. Um, but that's the entity in which, or the entity that collects information on adverse events, whether it's vaccines, whether it's medications, um, or prescriptions. Uh, when we already know that the adverse is already, they already, uh suspect that it's uh, things are underreported in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the vaccine, when people started self-reporting, uh, some of the manufacturers said, oh, if you are reporting an adverse effect greater than 10 days, some of it was 10 days, some of it was 14 days after the vaccine, that effect, that symptom is not associated with the vaccine. So then it became a
0: whole take 10 days. Out of, like, where did they get the 10 day
1: window? They made this determination. Well, that's a good question. Um, we know that our immune system, in order to train those B cells, it takes 10 to 14 days. Dear God. So, um, so it's a little bit challenging because now you have a, you know, within that adverse effect of reporting of vaccines, you have uh, a different uh, group of like, oh, okay, these are symptoms that people reported but they're not valid symptoms because they were outside of our 10 to 14 day window day 12. so then the company says oh we're not taking responsibility for that's not because of us that could be because of anything you could have been yeah exposed you could have gotten yeah the stomach bug you xyz you could went a paint like yeah we're not responsible for that so um I, so I think it makes a little bit of a challenge, right, for people to make that decision, uh, because, like I said, it's, and this is why I'm telling folks all the time is that um, you got to make a decision that makes sense to you, right? Like, um, and some people don't mind that there's that not that information there, right? Um, and and that's okay too. But um, if our, jo- our maybe not job, but our goal is to put the information out there right so that people can make that informed decision that makes sense to them if they want to make that decision um that they at least yeah give them um uh, a better understanding yes that's all how are many of the humans exactly
0: you no know, i think yeah. that's what a lot of us like it's, it's interesting i won't even go into this but it's interesting there's a, like people like me that are like, I don't care. If you want to take the vaccine, take it. If that makes you happy, take it. If you don't want to take it, don't take it because both of your health are your personal responsibility.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But you just need, I want you to have the information to make an informed decision. Exactly. Ignorance (laughs) creates hate And it creates division and ignorance creates
1: ignorance, created racism and sexism. Like, yeah, Um, I'm going to throw in a wrench a little bit um, because uh, what I'm seeing now is people who have made the decision, they do not want to get the vaccine, um, but their employers are now mandating it. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and so they're struggling with that decision. They're struggling with that decision to get the vaccine because they don't want it. They've already made that decision. They don't want it for their families. Their partners are supportive, um, but they feel like they're between that rock and that and that wall, right? Of like, oh, how am I going to provide for my family um, if I don't do this?
0: And as a life coach, I would say you, you have to, you're currently, when you feel like you're in a rock in a hard place, Mm -hmm. you're in survival brain, right? And survival brain is just make the decision that's short-term that makes the most sense right now for survival. And we have to like back out of that and go into our prefrontal cortex and say, here's a problem. I'm against this. This is what my place of work wants. How do I problem solve this? Do I go and get an exemption? Can, is that possible? Do I, is it possible for me to look for another company that doesn't require this that has the same that my skill set fit goes with, right? Do I finally start my own business? Do I like what what are all my options? This is not a black and white either or. Right. This is a time to pivot. What are all the options? Which I hear people like, I can hear people out there like, that sounds easy, Kim. Insane. Like, but when you get into black or white thinking that I only have two options, it feels terrible. And you're going to make a
1: decision that you don't like either way. Exactly. I want to, um, encourage folks to look at that, the perspective, right. And those options, um, to figure out, you know, to help them, make a decision that makes sense to them um but also encourage them that even if those options seem really scary right like starting my own business or you know quitting this job of five six ten years 20 years quitting this safety net of full benefits and um health and all of that right uh to go on another adventure to get uh, is to um uh How do I want to say that Um, get pushed out of your comfort zone right and sometimes that can be a really good decision it can be really scary but um what to be honest what I worry about with folks is that in their like heart of hearts they don't want the vaccine and they're getting they feel like they're getting forced to right because they're like oh this is my only decision I want to provide for my family um And then that creates this, that resentment, right? Like that hate, that frustration to themselves, right? That shame and guilt to their employers um, and then creates this negative spiral, right? Mentally, emotionally and in our physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, we do hard things, right? We we talk about this. You teach me that all the time, I feel like. (laughs) We do, I mean, we're humans, we do hard things and it's okay, yeah, to make those tough decisions. Um, And even if that decision isn't the comfort, isn't where you're comfortable, right? Where that safety net is, where you can, um, and it may not be as black and white.
0: Yeah, and lots of people are making that decision. Like, it's not, you're not alone. You're not the only person in the world struggling with that, right? Like I've heard recently of a guy, um, because I'm feeling... I've worked with veterans. I'm familiar with kind of how the military works. He had 18 years in. He's two years away from retirement, right? Which means an amazing benefit package. Like they get really good retirement, you know, they get access to the VA. They get so much access to things. Okay. Yeah. Military forces you to have the vaccine. And if you don't get it, you like you're out, right? Yeah, you forfeit all that and you get out with a dishonorable discharge. And dishonorable discharge says that you are no longer have the ability to access any of those benefits, right? And And the gentleman was like, so be it. I forfeit my retirement, I forfeit these things because I'm not gonna take this. That was a hard decision. You put in 18 years, right? And that's a pretty sweet retirement. But like, he did hard things. He made a decision and he liked his reason why. And he'll go figure out. I'll go figure it out. I'll go start another career. I'll make some more retirement. Like, I'll figure it out. But this is important to me and I like my
1: reason why. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just to, you know, help people see that they, that, um, that it's not that black and white, right, right? That you do have options. You have an opportunity to kind of pivot because I, um, I know it can get really overwhelming, uh for folks and um and to listen like listen to your heart right if your heart is telling you to do something different right or whatever decision it's having you make and it may seem kind of scary um but yeah to 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 follow that um Because that's, that's probably my biggest worry right now <laughs> for folks is because I hear that, you know, um, when people, yeah, feel like that they don't have, they feel like they're getting their power taken away, right? Mm-hmm. You got to take that power back. We talk about this all the time in our podcast. So this is an opportunity to put it in action, even if it's scary.
0: Yes. And I want to reframe it. Your, your power can never be taken away. It's yes. always
1: given. Mm-hmm. Yeah don't give it away
0: don't give it away
1: don't give it away yeah
0: yeah okay um, cool anything else on ivermectin we kind of like but they're all tied together at this point so it's hard to like
1: yeah i think it's all very yeah in interconnected right and um i think this is things you know people are are um experiencing now and i mean even we're yeah this far into this pandemic. Yeah. Um, with this virus, but you no, know, I, I think it's important, uh, for folks to hear and to be able to get more information. Well, cool.
0: That's right. it. Thank you, Dr. Farman. Thanks. Do you love reading books? Of course you do. So do we, that's why we started a book club. It's a monthly subscription where you receive a box that has really fun prizes or gifts in it that go along with that month's theme and we rotate our books. One month we read a book about body, mind, and then soul. It's so fun to have this community of people that are interested in holistic wellness and we get to talk about all sorts of different topics based on that month and just getting everybody's different perspective. So if you're looking for a community of holistic minded people and you love reading, this is going to be the best community for you. It's so fun. Our members just talk about how fun it is to receive each month's box with a surprise book and a surprise gift. We meet via Zoom only twice a month to discuss the book. So if you're interested, go to thriveanalignhealing.com forward slash book club to join. And we look forward to seeing you in the months to come.